Hello, welcome to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Here you will find cutting-edge information provided by the best experts in the world so you can learn how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Bruno da Gama is the Brazilian Health Nut in a mission to solve the problems you have when trying to lose weight forever. He is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach by the Czech Institute. Don't forget to say hello and sign up to our free newsletter at www.brazilianhealthnet.com. Let's go! Thank you so much for being here with me with me today, Meredith. I really appreciate your time. And can you talk a little bit about your story, like uh, from little Meredith to now leader of Nutritional Therapy Association? Well, um, it's nice to be here, for one. Thank you for having me. And um, my story is probably... Um, I mean, again, stories are so wonderful because they connect us all. And it's probably really similar to a lot of people's stories in that, you know, I, I actually grew up um, in thinking that, you know, I was normal. I didn't have anything significantly wrong with me. I was not very athletic because I sort of couldn't be for reasons I didn't understand at the time. Um, and um, as I I never struggled with weight or anything like that. Um, but as, as I got older and start and had kids, um, and then my, my first daughter had some health issues. Um, I'd always been interested in food, but was, um, looking at things a little more from a vegetarian perspective. And, um, when my first daughter had a lot of health issues, I, that was sort of my go-to was understanding she, she was really colicky and a lot of rashes and diarrhea, alternating constipation, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, so I, my go-to was looking into health issues. And when I did that, I realized how, what the significance was of, of food sensitivities and different digestive issues on our whole health, not just our digestive tracts. And, um, so the more I learned about her, the more I could kind of apply to myself. And, and so there was, there was a little bit of a journey there. And, um, you know, I, I made some changes to my own diet, um, for the better, but you know, life is still happening along the way and there's stress and, you know, you're coming in contact with different things. And ironically, sometimes, and this is something that we can kind of touch on more probably later in our discussion, but ironically, sometimes when we make these decisions to get healthier, our bodies get strong enough to actually tackle some things that have been sort of, they haven't been strong enough to tackle in the past. Um, So, so sometimes actually we go on this journey where we're getting better, better, and then it kind of plateaus and, and then we fall off the edge of the cliff a little bit and we think, what's going on? I'm doing everything right. Um, and that was kind of me. That was where I ended up. Um, but the place, what my, um, 
the place where I ended up, what it looked like was chronic fatigue. Um, I realized that um, I have celiac disease. Mm. I um, found out that I was sort of pre-diabetic. I've had a lot of diabetes in my family. I wasn't fully diabetic, but my blood sugars were definitely jumping up, you know, nearing the, like between 140 and 200 pretty routinely. Um, and, um, I, I honestly, I just like couldn't get off the couch. I felt horrible. And, um, and so I just, um, you know, had little, this was actually happening kind of along the way, um, that I just decided to do the nutritional therapy therapy association. Um, how did programs. you find about them? Um, it was an interview. Um, my, actually my instructor, Caroline Berenger did an interview with Joe Mercola. Um, okay. and I was listening to that and I just kind of, I was painting and I dropped the paintbrush and I said, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of, that was part of my journey was understanding that. Um, and I got, um, you know, I, I began to kind of peel away layers. And so I, I feel oddly really lucky that I was sick. Um, Mm. because I've, I've sort of experienced this part of, um, of, of health and, or absence of good health from the inside. Um, so I, I really, I feel like I, I can connect. I have like I have a really deep empathy for for my clients that that are have you know having the same kind of health struggles. Right. 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 So um so yeah it took it took some time but you know no I'm can't say that I have any complaints anymore. Um you know I went from a place where I just I could not I thought I had 3 kids and I I just I felt like I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible everything. I can't get off the couch to do anything. And it seems like a dream now. Um, but anyway, you see your mind, did you see your mindset changing when you start changing your food? Because, for example, here I'm down in Brazil right now. And I'm talking to my father about all those things. And I, he has some problems with depression on the past. And I'm encouraging him to change his diet. Because I'm sure there is a connection between mind and body right so i'm encouraging him to do some changes and but it's hard to you know when especially when you're down the path already for so long how how do you work with you like for that yeah you know depression again this is one of those things i thought i was sort of normal i was a normal depressed person my entire young adult life and it took changing my diet and then seeing improvements in my emotional health, um, to understand, I don't think I would have ever made the dietary changes for my emotional health at the time because I didn't believe that those connections existed. Um, but then when I lived it from the inside and then understood the science behind it later, um, now I'm, yeah, exactly like you. That's a huge part of what I do. And it's a huge part of, of chronic disease is that you know, you find yourself in a place that's vacillating between um, despair and d- despair and sort of loss of motivation to go on and desperate desperation, sort of desperately clinging. 
and and sort of scraping for information, you know, anywhere you can find it, like mm-hmm. to improve improve your health. And both of them are sort of natural responses to to illness from a neurological, like a neuro- biochemical state. Um, so uh, amazingly, d- digesting your food better, improving your microbiome, all of that kind of stuff yeah. um, is going to yeah. improve your ability to digest foods and get the raw materials with which to make neurotransmitters out of, which are proteins, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, it also improves uh, the communication that the the discussion between your bacteria that live in your gut through the vagus nerve into your brain, they're constantly kind of sending messages. There's this crosstalk that's happening between these bacteria and your own cells that are, um, that are controlling, you know, how you feel. I, we're going to get into a little more depth later on. I want to ask you more about this inflammation and gut flora, all the kind of good stuff for sure. But before we start that, I have a question for you regarding how do you deal with somebody? You're seeing a lot of different people, different uh, problems they are having with their health. But I'm sure a lot of people come to you because they want to lose weight. How do you start with this conversation with them? Like, What do you try to explain to them about losing weight? I'm so glad you asked me that. Um, okay, so first of all, what I will say to them, well, first of all, I'll have a discussion with them about, you know, your your body is the only body you'll ever have in this life. And that part of losing weight has to be about loving your body. And that's not loving the body that you're envisioning in the future that's about loving the body that you're living in now. So if you can't love the body that you're currently inhabiting, you're not going to be able to take care of it well enough. You're not going to be able to um, live sort of the self-care that you're going to need in order to, to lose weight. Hmm. So that's the first discussion we have. And what I'll say is even before somebody comes to me about losing weight, they're going to have to go through their own. Um, there are lots of reasons why, why people are not at their ideal weight. Um, you know, if you, if you know, there's a period of time when you're young and if you gain a lot of weight during that period of time, that's, that's really the one time in your life that you can increase the number of fat cells in your body rather than just increasing the size of them. Mm. So if you gain weight when you're young, then you've actually got more fat cells in which you can deposit things and you are going to tend to put weight on. Right, right. Is it possible to lose those fat cells ever? No, they don't don't go away. So it's only possible to shrink them in size. So... So that there's there's one thing. There also there's so much trauma of varying natures that we experience. Things that and it's all relative. You know, for one person, trauma might be abuse. Um, or, you know, somewhere far on one end of this the the spectrum, like abuse or you know, living 
in like a war-torn country or something like that, um, that kind of trauma. And then to other people, it might be something as simple as having some kids at school that were teasing them. Um, so you know, there, and then there's a ton of stuff in between and it's all important. None of it is less important than the other because it's affecting you. And so this kind of trauma can cause a certain degree, causes, um, neuro, it causes synaptic connections in your brain that create, and I'm going to say, we can take it even further back than that and say, maybe your mom experienced a lot of stress when Mm -hmm. she was pregnant with you or, um, you know, the way that your parents parented you, or did you have a lot of food sensitivities as an infant? Basically what I'm saying is, did you have a lot of stress as in these really critical formative years in your life that caused your brain to make these connections so that every time even the tiniest stressor comes into your world, you react as if a bomb just went off. So you're constantly having these explosions of cortisol within your body that will predispose you to weight gain. Mm. So you could eat so many of the people that I know that so many of my clients have probably consume less calories than the so many of my clients that are overweight consume less calories than the people that I know that consume more calories and are thin and it's all because of this you know cortisol kind of vicious cycle in their bodies that you know there's like a cascade and it won't allow their bodies to lose right. weight. So how do you see the role of calories? Because there is a, a lot of people just talk about eating less, just burning calories, right? So you're going to be losing weight. Uh, what do you do with those people? <laughs> so here's where a huge microbiome connection comes in. Um, what there, so there's a two-way communication between our gut and our brain. So If you feel stressed out and you produce cortisol, it will change the bacterial composition of your gut. And they're kind of feeding on, you know, different um, metabolites that are in your gut. Maybe that stress is causing you to eat, you know, you you emotionally eat. So there's, there's that kind of component in there. But even if you're not an emotional eater, stress changes your gut microbiome. You can also not be stressed and eat certain foods and it changes your microbiome and then they communicate to your brain and that changes the way you're feeling. Mm-hmm. But um, in within, so let's say we have this scenario where you've, you've negatively impacted your microbiome, whether it's because of diet or chronic stress that could be a result of past trauma or whatever. Um, Though the particular sort of milieu of bacteria that are going to be inhabiting your gut, what is important about bacteria is what they produce. So bacteria eat things and then they have kind of a you know, like a life cycle like we do. So they eat and they poop. Mm -hmm. And basically the thing, so uh, poop is a little crude term, but, um, (laughs) but it's, but we are nutritional therapists. So we see that a lot. Um, so 
metabolites. That's what that's the scientific term for it. So what a bacteria's metabolite is, or or you know, maybe they produce more than one thing. Um, that's what's important. So so if I am a person that has altered gut bacteria because I'm really stressed out and I eat let, let's just compare cupcakes. Like I eat a bite of a cupcake, whereas my friend over here who's not stressed out and has good gut bacteria because they usually eat pretty well, eats an entire cupcake. And what, so what goes in your mouth is not the end story of what is going into your body. Right. What goes into your body is a combination of what went into your mouth and what the bacteria in your gut ate and then metabolized. Because what they eat and metabolize, these metabolites that our gut bacteria produce, are shipped directly up to our liver. So if these gut bacteria are producing toxins, say free fatty acids, or that these things called lipopolysaccharides, which, which are um, – toxic to us. They're pumped directly into our liver and they can cause all kinds of blood sugar dysregulation, fatty liver. They're basically the cause of metabolic syndrome. Um, and they're connected to increase cortisol, which is our stress hormone because it, it is, it alters our gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, what's up? Bruno Gama here, Brazilian Health Nuts. And let's take a little break from the show because I would like to offer you something. If you go to my website, www.brazilianhealthnut.com and click on the page, Burn Fat Forever, you can go ahead and claim your free consultation with me right now, okay? Or you can just send me an email at brazilianhealthnut at gmail.com. So you can start to lose weight and feel healthier right now, okay? So go ahead and claim your free consultation with me and remember that spots are limited, okay? Now let's get back to the show. Before you go a little deeper into this conversation, can you tell people who doesn't know uh, what a microbiome is, gut flora? Yes, yes, thank you. Um, so um, a microbiome is, so we have, colonies of bacteria that live all over our bodies. They live on our gums, our tongue, our skin, our, our gut, our everywhere. They basically inhabit all of us. Um, they predate us and they will post-date us. They're like sort of the masters of evolution because they can. their life cycle is so short, they can just adapt to just about anything. So... Um, a microbiome is, you'll always hear the microbiome of something. So it's the microbiome of the gut or of the skin or of the ocean or a particular part of the ocean or whatever it is. And that, what it consists of is various kinds of bacteria. There are, you know, different sort of classes of bacteria. Um, there are also um funguses, there are other, you know, there are other microorganisms that will kind of coexist. Mm -hmm. So they all, it's all sort of part of um, a symbiotic relationship, like a world. It's a world that's living inside us. Yeah. So, um, 
Does that yeah, do you yeah. want me to so what are they doing there? Uh, because I remember from our class and um, that we have pretty much 10 times more bacteria just in our gut than we have cells. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of bacteria, right? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we're an outnumbered 100 to 1 by the amount 100, of DNA. Oh my God. So we only have our own DNA, but there's so many different kinds of bacteria that they... I mean, we're massively outnumbered. Um, so they're, they are living in on the mucosal lining. So in our intestine, in, let's just, because we're talking about gut, the gut okay. microbiome, um, we'll, we'll kind of narrow it down to that. They have to have things that they eat. So they, part of what they eat is um, the food that we eat, specifically carbohydrates in our diet, um, and we, so we're, we feed them, we kind of breed different bacteria. So, so just think like, okay, if you had your own miniature ocean and you were only throwing, um, you were only throwing breadcrumbs into the ocean, the ecosystem would look one way. Whereas if you decided to only throw chicken into the ocean, it would look like a totally different ecosystem, right? Because mm -hmm. you're going to breed whatever eats those things. So not all bacteria eat the same things. Some of them like cellulose. So they, they really enjoy chomping on like um, what the stuff that's in lettuce or the skins of, of um, vegetables or, you know, even like apple skins or that kind of thing. Um, and then some bacteria like to eat um, different kind of sugars like starches, uh, like, um, that would be in root vegetables, that kind of thing. And, and other bacteria, they all love simple sugars because it's, they're very easy for them to break down. So the more complex sugars that are in ve vegetables are a little harder to break down. Um, so, uh, let's see. So if you eat um, a lot of food that is high in refined sugars, these really simple sugars, it's going to tend to be the really fast reproducing bacteria that you're feeding, which actually, unfortunately, tends to be the more um, the, the not good species, the more pathogenic type species, the ones that are associated with ill health rather than good health. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, we talk so much about the importance of having a wide variety of especially vegetables but fruits too um okay. in our in our diet because that's it's food for our gut so when they can't eat that stuff then they're going to eat they're going to look for a different source of food and that different source of food is actually you it's actually the mucosal lining of your gut um is also made of of carbohydrates that actually look very similar to some of the carbohydrates in food. So, um, so that's kind of part, you know, what yes. that's their backup plan. Right. Um, so let's what, say for example, somebody's having problems with their microbiome, with the gut flora, right? For a variety of different reasons. Let's say they, they were born cesarean or they had stress in the childhood. They, they were eating the wrong kinds of foods. Is it changing the diet enough to restore that gut flora or we should be looking into something else? Um, so, you know, I think you're going to find 
different lines of thought on this because the science is still very young. It's very, very much evolving. Um, you know, it's only, it's only really been like in the last five years that we're paying any attention to microbiome issues. So, um, or, or, you know, in large quantities we're paying attention to it. Lots of people have been paying attention for longer, but, um, so, I think the answer to that question largely is yes. I think what we're really finding is that what we eat has more impact on what's living in us than anything else. Now, that, I'm going to say there's a, a caveat here because the caveat is that your immune system is going to play a role in this too. And if you've got pathogens that are living in your gut, which naturally um, are they're they're more aggressive so they can they like to sort of crowd out the good guys they they do reproduce more quickly they produce toxins that can kill some of the good guys off um and so that can get us in in a a little bit of a pickle um so making sure that your immune system is working well and that we're not um we're not exposing ourselves constantly to foods that we have an intolerance to, an allergy or intolerance to. Um, There actually is a really fascinating study that I came across recently where um, they they took a group of people, and I can't remember what sort of, what testing they used to determine food sensitivities, but they basically figured out food sensitivities for this group of people did not, and there were people that were struggling with weight loss, mm-hmm. not not being able to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And they, all they did was took the offending foods out of their diet. Their calorie intake did not change at all, and they lost weight. Wow. So yeah, that's there is a correlation there between food sensitivity and losing weight. Yes. Wow. Huge. That's interesting. And it's because so your body doesn't care whether the stressor is someone that's attacking you or a, or of you know a lion that's chasing you or or an assault on your immune system by um you know a food that you have an allergy or some sort of sensitivity to it doesn't care right it's your body sees it as stress mechanism to respond yeah and that that's like a, a cortisol response so so yeah, it's it's all a stress. Yes, um, this brings the the conversation to inflammation, right? Because yes. if you're getting stress from either food or a lion chase, chasing you, like you said, or you're fighting with your spouse, anything like that, it's it's a stress. And there is this big word nowadays that you see all the time: inflammation. Oh, a lot a lot of things are caused by inflammation. Obesity is caused by inflammation. Can you expand a little bit about on this topic of inflammation, please? I sure can. Um, inflammation is something that, be- because my um, sort of specialty, I guess you'll say, is is chronic illness. Um, inflammation is a key component in any different chronic illness. Um, so inflammation. Well, kind of let's break it down. So what is inflammation first? Inflammation is oxidative stress. So oxidative stress um, happens because uh, this is where I, I love to get, I'm such a science nerd. And <laughs> I, I love that. 
so in it turns out that this whole electron thing was important when you know you were in school when you were young and you had the things that you sort of didn't mind learning about and things that you really hated learning about and one of the things that i think most of us really hated learning about was like protons and neutrons and electrons oh god you know you're falling asleep but it turns out that's what makes us tick um, and it's also what makes us break. So inflammation is basically an electron deficiency. So oxidative stress um, is free radicals that are floating around your body. And they steal, they are unstable. So they have not the right amount of electrons in their like outer core. And so they're trying to become stable because there's always balance that's trying to be maintained in nature. And so they are going to steal electrons from you. And so now you have unstable cells in your body, unstable atoms in your body. And that's basically what inflammation is. So why does it happen? Like, this is weird. Why, why does it happen? Like, why do we have this instability in our tissues? So the free radicals are what are causing the oxidative stress and free radicals can be that they can come from a number of places. So one place is going to be blood sugar. That's out of control. I'm mm -hmm. sure that's going to, something that you're going to be talking about at oh, yeah. blood sugar regulation podcast. Yeah. Um, so having blood sugar that's either way too high or way too low is going to cause it. Cause your body perceives both as a stress. Way too high is more damaging, um, but too low is also going to be damaging because it's stressful to your body. And anything that's stressful is going to end up causing some, some oxidative stress. Um, so another thing is just lifestyle. That's kind of a more obvious one, just having stress in your life. Say maybe that stress is, you know, relationships that are not good. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's not getting enough sleep. Maybe it's a job that is, you know, putting too much on you or whatever. We've got, all got those kind of things. Um, and um, another one is going to be pathogens. So pathogens are going to be um, viruses and bacteria and funguses. Um, and, and I'll say there's even a connection here between environment and um, this pathogen thing I'm talking about because sometimes it could even be like mold that's in your environment. It's not growing in you. Yeah. But Have you seen that movie, Moldy? I haven't yet, but yeah, I'm very aware of all the research that went into yeah, it. So it's, there was a girl there. She she started to gain weight out of nowhere and she had no idea what why why was happening. She was eating the same thing. She was just living the same way and she found out was mold. So yeah, you see, exactly. sometimes not, there is nothing to do if just, that's one more proof there is nothing to do if it's just calories in, calories out. Yeah. So if, you're, if you've been living in a situation for a long time where you've had these mold exposures, you are going to be just ramming your head against a wall trying to lose weight because the mold, as you inhale it, uh, for one, it causes a lot of damage in your body, which is oxidative stress, but certain in certain situations mold is metabolized in your body into um a particular kind of neurotransmitter called or a chemical called a catecholamine mm -hmm. 
And catecholamines, this is going to be like estrogen. Um, and they can cause your body to hold, hold on to calories, calories. So that is another contributor to, you know, not being able to lose weight. Um, and then there, so, so then other pathogens that are say maybe, um, secreting these toxins in your body, that's, that's going to be another source of free radicals. Um, and then, you know, other, other environmental exposures, like, uh, any, basically any time this system, your this catecholamine system where there's, you know, cortisol and adrenaline that's being stimulated. So even like exposure to heavy metals yeah. or not being able to metabolize the heavy metals that you have been, been exposed to increases this sim because the catecholamines throw you into this state of fight or flight and your body feels like it needs to hold on to calories. So it's not, it's going to lower, um, your ability to to burn calories, you're going to hold on to more. You're going to shift your gut bacteria so that your gut bacteria are actually producing um, more of uh, more fatty acids, so that you're actually getting more calories from the food that you eat. Uh-huh. This is all; it's all connected. So, um, and another huge thing is that when we've got the setup of of weight of adipose to extra adipose tissue on our body, the adipose tissue actually creates inflammatory chemicals itself. Mm. So, so at, so actually having extra fat cells is a contributor to inflammation. Right. It produ- Obesity, produce- it's another kind of inflammation on itself. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, those are a lot of uh, different kinds of inflammation and stressors that I'm sure a lot of people are not much aware of. Thank you for sharing with us. Before we move on from this topic, can you talk a little bit about stomach acid? Let's stay on the digestive system, okay? Yeah. Um, That's something I don't see many people talking about stomach acid and the important role of that chemical in our body. And why, why is that? Yeah, oh my gosh. There, there are so many facets that I'm probably not going to be able to think of every single one yes, of them, but yes. I'm going to do my best. Um, so, so stomach acid, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling to, to so many people that we, most of us actually need more and not less. Um, it's critical to digesting our food. So if you think for a second that you can't live without food, <laughs> you're sadly mistaken. But I think most people would not try to make that assertion. So, so most people know we need food to live, but then it would follow that we need to be able to actually digest that food to live. And then it would follow that we need all the chemicals in our body working really well to digest the food that we need to live. So stomach acid and enzymes are really what the, the, ma- the major factors and what those chemicals in our body are. Um, so stomach acid is, is a, an acid that's produced in your stomach. It's also called hydrochloric acid. Um, and it needs to be produced in fairly decently large quantities in our stomach um, to, in order to start breaking the food down into its individual components. So 
the proteins that we eat need to be broken down into polypeptides and peptides and amino acids. And fats need to be broken down until they're just the little individual fatty acids. Um, because they need to be in their smallest components for us to be able to actually absorb them and use them properly. Um, minerals are not absorbable to our body if they're in nature. They don't just hang out by themselves. They like to and it's because of this electron thing I was talking about before. They're like magnets. They like mm -hmm. to sort of latch on to something else. So in order to like break that bond, like it's like that game Red Rover. Like in order to like break through the line of people holding hands, you've got to have good stomach acid so that you can you can break this mineral off, and then it's yours. Then it's it's yours to absorb and use. Um, so. So that's, I'll say, the first key component is that if we don't have good stomach acid, in order to run all the processes in our body well so that the machinery is, like, well-oiled, you know, and, and it's, it's working with no real complaints, we have to have all the raw materials. And the raw materials are the nutrients that are in our food. Mm -hmm. So it's stressful to your body when you are deficient in things. So in, in multiple ways. So Can you talk a little bit about the foods that help with production of stomach acid and some of the ones that are going to be depleting? Or not just food, but just lifestyle in general, right? Um, okay, so foods that... so. There are foods that kind of turn on stomach acid production. One of them is going to be proteins because um, protein – so different – so there are three macronutrients, what, are, what we call macronutrients. Our foods, all of our foods are made up either of fats, proteins, or carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And carbohydrates take sort of the least stomach acid to digest – Fats take a little bit more, and proteins take even more than that. And when I say take them more, it's because there are different levels of acidity that are required to turn on the enzymes that actually digest those different macronutrients. So, so protein, because it requires the most to activate those particular enzymes, um, really stimulate our body knows that, so it'll really really turn it up. So if we have diets that are low in protein, then we're not sending the signal to our bodies that stomach acid even needs to be produced. Okay. So that's going to be one thing. And then, then there are flavors that turn on this process in our bodies, like bitter flavors and sour flavors, which we've very much lost the taste for in lieu of sweet flavors. So this is going to be things like like so many vegetables have bitter flavors. Plants, um, there are these alkaloid compounds in plants that elicit the bitter flavor. So this is going to be like a lot of greens, um, especially the bitter greens like collards and mustards and, you know, arugula. All, and, then, and then things like radishes and turnips, any of the really sulfury vegetables, even um, the alliums like like onions and garlic are going to turn this on. Um, and then sour flavors that you can find, obviously something like lemon or vinegars, um, but things like fermented foods mm. are very stimulating of the digestive process. Um, and then as far as lifestyle factors, um, one of the, so stress 
in an immediate sense, like, you know, if you're sitting eating your lunch and somebody yells fire, your stomach acid is going to increase a whole lot in for a very short period of time. And then after that period of time, um, it's going to tank because your body, it, it thinks from an evolutionary perspective, it's running from the saber toothed tiger or whatever. And it's not going to focus on digesting your food. It wants to focus on getting the heck out of there. So, um, so preferentially you're going to send blood to your legs and arms and brain, other places in your body and not your digestive tract. So, so is stress a big depleter? Do you see anything else? Chronic stress is a big depleter. Um, and then actually nutrient deficiencies are big depleters. So I'll say the first, so hydrochloric acid is stomach acid. So it's the hydro is water. The chloric is comes from the chloride. And then there's, um, an enzyme that connects the water and the chloride and that enzyme uses enzymes oftentimes have cofactors that not, uh, they don't just make them work better. They're actually required to make them work at all. Um, and the in the cofactor that's required for this particular enzyme is zinc. So if you're zinc deficient, if you are water deficient, if mm-hmm. you're dehydrated, um, chloride deficient and chloride is kind of a deficiency that we have a little bit less, but, um, but some people that have real, um, say adrenal fatigue kind of issues, they can become sodium depleted and sodium and chloride are oftentimes found together. So sometimes you can. So, so some things like water and sea salt and foods that are high in zinc, which are actually proteins, um, are necessary to kind of stimulate that process to have to give your body the raw materials that it needs to actually make the stomach Got acid. It. Got it. You mentioned before about the macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. There is a lot of discussion about low fat, low carb, and all these different kind of micronutrient ratios in order to, especially to lose weight, we see a lot. How do you see this conversation? Do you do you talk to your clients about this? Um, do you have a preference? How, how do you handle those things? Oh, yeah. Um, this is something that we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about bio-individuality. So what is that? That's a weird word. Um, but it just means that we all have biology that's unique from each other. We're all humans. So... There are, simila- there are more similarities, many more similarities than there are differences. But where you are compared to where someone else is is going to be different. And also, where you are today is going to be different than where you are tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now. So we talk. So I talk a lot to my clients about kind of sussing out what your needs, how to look at how you're feeling right now and read you sort of your symptoms as a language that your body is speaking that's trying to tell you what the balance needs to be for you right now and um that will change day to day but i say is will change more over longer periods of time so let, i'll just give this example um so if i get a new client in and this client has poor digestion and a lot of inflammation 
which is, I could say, is basically the case for most of the clients that I have when they first come to me. And so we're going to work on digestion because it's poor. And part of that is uh, it's going to be somewhat protein digestion, but because protein, or sorry, somewhat carbohydrate digestion, but because carbohydrates require the least amount of stomach acid, they tend to be the easiest to digest, except that if you've had low stomach acid, then oftentimes you've actually bred. So these bacteria, this microbiome that we were talking about before, should mostly be growing down low in your gut, in the large intestines. Um, it's not that your small intestines are sterile, but there there's exponentially less bacteria in there and and different types in there than there are in your large intestines. And your stomach should pretty much mostly be sterile. Mm -hmm. And it's sterile largely because of stomach acid because the stomach is not only a chamber for the beginning of digestion, it's also a disinfecting chamber. So anything that might, any pathogen that might happen to ride in on the food that you ate, your stomach can hose it down with this, you know, disinfecting hydrochloric acid and it's not going to be a problem for you. It's it, because bacteria are just proteins. So they basically disintegrated the pathogen. Um, so, you know, so it's not, not going to be a problem for you anymore. So if you've had low stomach acid, then it can encourage the growth of pathogens up higher in your digestive tract, in your stomach, in your small intestines. So oftentimes we have to pull back on certain kinds of carbs at the beginning of the process because they are encouraging these more simple carbs or carbs that carbohydrates that you as a human being actually genetically lack the capability of digesting and so it, they become just food for bacteria. Um, sometimes you have to pull back on some of those because you're feeding bacteria in that they might not even be bad bacteria, but they're not living in the right place. So they mm -hmm. can cause things like bloating and, you know, a lot of dis discomfort. Um, so sometimes we have to pull back on those kind of carbohydrates for a period of time while someone's stomach acid is improving. We're kind of healing the mucosal lining and improving stomach acid production up high in their digestive tracts. Um, and then as far as, and pr as far as fats, ideally we can sort of transition a person from relying solely on carbohydrates for energy production, transition them, um, into a metabolism that is able to burn fats as fuel. Um, and not solely, we don't necessarily want them solely burning fats as fuel, but that they can go back and forth easily. Their, their bodies are primed for sort of whatever you put into it. Um, that said, if your digestion is not good, you're not very capable of digesting fats very well because stomach acid is just sort of this first, it's kind of like dominoes. And if that first domino doesn't, you know, hit the second domino, then the, you know, the line of dominoes is not going to fall. So 
down the line in this domino process of digestion is bile secretion, bile production and, and secretion from the gallbladder that it's produced, bile is produced in the liver and then placed into the, secreted into the gallbladder and then sort of squirted from the gallbladder into the small intestines. Um, but that whole process is stimulated in part by stomach acid. So, and by, by the, the acidity of the food that's gone through your stomach. So at the beginning stages of this process, sometimes we can't really add a ton of fat back in because we have to kind of get digestion ready for it. So you're treating the person individually, but also situational. So depending on the situation of the person, you're going to do some changes. And then along the way, as their condition improves, you can add some, maybe some more fat or maybe some more carbohydrates, depending on the situation. It's very individualized, right? Exactly. Individualized with the person and with the time. So yes. it, it evolves. Got it. Yeah. That's awesome. One of the, my last questions I have for you here. Difference between your clients who succeed and the one who do not. Where do you see, where is the biggest difference between them? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I'm going to say that it is... It's, it goes back, it's at, we've circled around very nicely um, because it goes back to really that first thing that I'm say, I was saying and loving your body enough to take care of it in the right ways that will sort of open all the doors that allow for success. So if you don't have enough love and respect for your body to slow down a little bit and give it the um, rest that it needs. You know, you can't slow down enough to get a good night's sleep. You can't slow down enough to, um, to, to do the things that make your body feel good, to exercise a little bit, or meditate, or um, color, or whatever it is that you're going to do. I mean, or cook for yourself. Mm-hmm. So there, I'll say it's not very scientific, the line between success and failure. I can know exactly what you need to do to reach your goals. But if you can't love yourself enough to do it, then I'm never going to be able to get you there. Mm-hmm. There's no amount of intelligence in the world that's going to do it. It's all about love. It's all about love, yeah. really. Finding the client's dream, I see, helps a lot. You know, really digging deep into the why, why you want to change and bringing those bigger, those reasons bigger than themselves. Like, yeah. I, I, I do this exercise with every client before I even start all the nutritional and lifestyle change. I want you to write it down, 51 reasons why you want to be healthier. So wow. you and it has to be bigger than yourself. So for example, with me, I want to be healthy, healthy because I want to play tennis with my grandson. I want to be healthy because I don't like going to the doctors. I want to be healthy because I want to live to 100. So there is bigger reasons than just, oh, I want to be healthy because I want to have a, a six pack or I want to yeah. get, I want to 
lose weight to my brother's wedding next month, you know. So right. that's how, how I see where the really result comes. Last question for you. People are motivated now. They have a lot of information on their head. And if you have to give them just one action step after finishing this interview, listening to this interview, what would you tell them? Um, you know, I think I would, I would, again, just have to go back to this. You know, if you're finding that you have some serious um, roadblocks to, to weight loss or whatever your health goals are, um, to, to actually step back from the process a little bit and examine, like do some real soul searching, examining if you feel like there's something in you that is, is blocking you from moving forward in that sense of, of taking care of it. Do you feel like you're worth this is basically what I'm getting at. Do you, because that, that becomes an issue for so many people that in the end, you know, that seems like such a silly, cheesy question. Am I worth it? Yeah, of course I'm worth it. But, but no, like really think on it for a while and say like, and not am I worth it because I want people to like me more because I'm skinnier or, you know, I've got better muscle tone or whatever. No. Do you think you are worth feeling good? Do you think it's whatever you have to do to get there? Is it worth that to you? And that's so again, that's it. It's really mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I am a total science nerd and I love to figure all this stuff out. But in the end, um, that's what's the most yeah. important. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for that. So, where can people find you, and what's next for you now? Um, so people can find me uh, at my website. It's um, nourishedtable.com. Um, nourished is in like you know full and satiated, <laughs> um, and. Um, I'm also, I've got a Facebook, um, website, I'm nourished table, family nutritional therapy is my practice. Um, I also am, I'm a lead intern instructor for the nutritional therapy association right now. Um, I'm, I'm instructing a class in Austin, Texas, um, and we'll be starting one in Burlington, Vermont in, um, February and hopefully eventually will be the lead instructor for that class. So you can always find me by going through that program. Um, and yeah, I can't remember if I'm sad. I'm on Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook and all that kind of thing. But, um, and then what's next for me is, um, te- is teaching and lots more client stuff. Um, and try and on, you know I'm on my own journey of trying to find balance in all this stuff in my life. Uh, so that that's mm-hmm. where I'm. That's where I'm Ooh. going. Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much for being here. And I just want to say thank you also publicly here for because people don't know, but you are one of my instructors when I was going through the NCA course, and I really, really enjoy it, and I learned a lot from you. So thank you for that. Super nice, and I hope to talk to you soon. All right. <laughs>
Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Go to www.brazilianhealthnut.com for much more information about how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Hasta luego.